Hello everybody and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. I hope you're all well and having a lovely, lovely week so far. I'm currently recording this underneath my duvet in my bedroom and it's ridiculously hot. So yes, I hope you're a lot more comfortable than I am right now. If we're meeting for the first time, firstly, hello, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did, slash the one asking the questions throughout this chat. And if you are a regular listener, welcome back and thank you so much as always for tuning in. The She Can, She Did podcast is essentially a podcast in which I sit down with female founders dotted all over the UK via Zoom for the foreseeable future, but usually over a coffee in person, and ask them to open up to me about absolutely everything they've been through, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it goes in there, to not just launch, but to grow and sustain their businesses to date. The overarching aim being that She Can, She Did encourages current female founders to persevere by highlighting that setbacks en route are so normal. But also to inspire as many aspiring business owners that launching a business is possible, no matter what age you are, but only if you're willing to grit your teeth and work seriously hard. Now, before we get going on today's episode, which is filled to the brim with so many challenges and setbacks that Lucy has handled so well, in my opinion, I'm so pleased to say that Tide Business Current Accounts are back once again as the sponsor of the She Can She Did podcast. A fact that I am very happy about because I've been banking with Tide ever since I switched over to being a limited company at the end of 2018 and have loved them ever since. Zero complaints. So feel like I can go to town talking them up in these intros. If you haven't heard of Tide, it's a business current account dedicated to startups, entrepreneurs and freelancers. You can download the app and set up a business account with them in no more than 10 minutes if you're interested, by the way, who have in recent weeks set up a small business solidarity series on their website to champion and promote Tide users, which has been designed to showcase the various ways in which Tide members are supporting others as we all navigate the coming weeks and months. From free SEO resources and business coaching sessions from fellow business owners to free online fitness sessions and meditation recordings too, there are so so many useful offers to take advantage of so please do feel free to have a look at their website www.tide.co forward slash solidarity hyphen initiatives or by following the link in this episode show notes which is probably a lot easier a giant giant thank you to tide as always for being so unbelievably supportive right last monday morning i started my week off by chatting to the self-titled booze boss lady that is lucy doe founder of the dodo micro pub situated in hanwell west london that she launched in january 2017 after being made redundant from a 14-year career in marketing having met lucy a number of times now at many of the london she can she did midweek mingles. It was so, so good to finally sit down for a proper chat because whilst I take my hat off to anyone that decides to launch a business, as you all know, so long as they go into it for the right reasons, that is, of course, I must admit that I have an additional ounce of respect reserved for those that dare to launch a business in the hospitality industry like Lucy has done. So I was very much looking forward to this interview for that reason. Not only is hospitality notorious for its unsociable hours and physically demanding nature, which often gets overlooked when people dream about running a business like hers. In recent months, aside from the travel industry of course, it's also the industry that has been hardest hit from the current lockdown. 
With that in mind, as well as detailing the battles that she fought to simply get the keys to the pub so that she could open, as well as how she navigated a legal battle, burnout and a few not-so-successful events post-launch, Lucy also opens up about how 2020 has played out so far and how the Dodo Micropub has evolved in this Covid-dominated landscape. This is what Lucy had to say. As always, I really hope you enjoy it. good for a Monday surprisingly. Mondays have always been my day off being obviously a hospitality business so Mondays always feel quite good just because it's time to get stuck into what I need to be doing behind the scenes more than like faffing around doing other things. I feel so bad that I've booked this in on your day off. (laughs) I mean there are no days off currently so don't worry about that like every day Somebody asked me the other day, oh, you only do three days a week. What are you doing with the rest of your time? And I was like, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Every day is full of stuff in general. But um, yeah, I try in my the back of my head to think when I get everything I need to do on a Monday, then I can just chill out in the garden. Yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. I feel like that's the biggest misconception, isn't it? What do you actually do with your time? <laughs> anyway, can you, in your own words, tell us what your business is all about? And um, as always, we'll go from there. So my business is the Dodo Micropub and I opened it in January 2017. So it's a one room, warm, welcoming, community focused pub. So there's no TV, no music. The main form of entertainment is conversation. So you come in, you make friends, you meet people in your local area and you drink really good quality, independently brewed beer. Obviously, coronavirus has changed what the business currently looks like. But that in essence is what the Dodo Micropub is about. Sounds honestly dreamy. And like we were just saying, I feel like nowadays having somewhere that encourages people to just sit down and talk and be, you know, human and have that face to face chat. It's so rare because we all live on our phones, don't we? So I literally love the sound of this. Where did this idea come from? Because, you know, there are so many, I'm saying pubs in inverted commas, ordinary pubs, but this is a bit more unique. So talk me through where the idea came from. And I suppose what inspired you to not just think oh that's a good idea but actually I'm gonna launch this. So I was your typical like Londoner rat race girl back in the day so back in 2014 we went to so myself and my boyfriend went out of London to a little seaside town in Kent and we came across our first ever micro pub so it looked like nothing on the outside we just thought we'll venture in and see what happens and it was just an absolute breath of fresh air I was like this is exactly how going out should be you walk in you're made to feel welcome no matter what you look like or who you are. Everybody's lovely. You chat to like the locals like they're your best mates. And then you leave and you think, oh, wow, I've tried like a locally brewed beer and I've met some new people and they've made me feel really welcome. Like that is the essence of hospitality. And it was so stripped back and unpretentious. I was like, this has got to be something worth pursuing in London where I live. Like, why aren't there more micro pubs where I live? What was the corporate rat race job that you were doing? So I used to work in marketing, mostly in publishing. So at the time, I think I was in a magazine publisher then. And I'd done it for like 14 years, basically, before I decided to set up the Dodo. Amazing. So did you have what, I mean, talk me through, you go to that pub in Kent. How long was it before you handed your notice in? Like, what was that process? Do you know what I mean? Uh, so, okay, 2014, we went to our first micropub. I loved it. So I've always known deep down I wanted to be my own boss, just knew it would be something I would stupid it took me 
until I was like 30 something to like get the confidence and, and the brain power to think, okay, I can make this happen. What was it um, that made you want to be your own boss? Probably just makes me sound like an absolute rebel. I think it's just that sense of like, I want to be able to do things on my terms. Like I never, ever enjoyed being in like corporate situations where you had to like manage people out of their job when they were perfectly well skilled, but you're, you know, forced into a situation to be an absolute bitch because like, oh, revenue cuts, et cetera, et cetera. Like I just, that doesn't sit well with me. That's never been my vibe. So I just mm. thought, always knew I wanted the control. I wanted the freedom. Um, I just didn't know what that would be. I had lots of stupid ideas. And then, yeah, Micropub in 2014. And then I just kept thinking about it and assumed I'd become a marketing consultant because that's all I ever knew what to do. Uh, and in 2015, August 2015, I was made redundant. So the choice wasn't mine. Basically, they decided to get rid of me and my entire team. And with that came a redundancy package. So I thought, okay, it's either now or never. I spend this redundancy package on traveling the world, which is a great way to spend redundancy. <laughs> that's the dream. Or I make it happen. And that, that's what sort of kicked it all off. That's amazing. So I guess the first thing was you needed to find a space. Yeah, the steps basically were wrote the business plan out, had my redundancy package, had all my life savings and realised I still didn't have enough cash to open up a physical premises. So if you've got a business online, obviously your overheads are less. If you've got a physical premises, that's expensive. Especially in London. Yeah, especially in in London, in West London, where we're based. So um, I had to go to Virgin Startups and then that kind of guides you step by step on that journey anyway. So they pick your business plan apart. They give you a business advisor to go through the steps. And they basically said, go and find a premises. So I went and found a premises in, I would say, April, May 2016. And that then started to kick off that process. So obviously, if you run a licensed premise where you're selling booze, you have to be a responsible legal adult. So you have to get a personal license, a premises license and planning permission from the council. So all of those kind of legalities were all the big sort of stepping stones that then eventually took me to opening up. And I suppose Virgin, um, I mean, how much did you get from that? Because they're up to what, 25? 25,000. So I took the maximum, 25,000 pound loan over six year period. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. So um, I presume then it was a case of with that money coming in from Virgin and also the fact that they they really do they're great at like holding your hand throughout the process aren't they was it a case of it just started snowballing naturally so April did you say April 2016 yeah was when I found the premises so yeah they do guide you and help you at every step of the way so I definitely needed their support not just monetary terms but also the mentoring side of things to get you going the problem I had with opening up a licensed premises is you go to like a public consultation period so you have to tell like your local neighborhood okay I'm planning on opening up one of West London's first micro pubs and obviously nobody understands what micro pub is everybody thought I was opening up some sort of like nightclub crackdown or something <laughs> and the, we had masses of objections so actually I didn't get the keys to the premises until December 2016 because the planning department didn't know what the concept was, so they were refusing to let it go forward. The sort of the police department and the licensing department took me to a public hearing because they didn't understand what the concept was either. So that's another long, drawn out concept. How did you hold your nerve throughout all of that? Because that's enough to put anyone off. The minute, like the legal, when you start having to be 
having to answer to the police and things like what what did you do in terms of de- yeah dealing with that pressure it's I mean it was stressful back then because obviously it was already stressful trying to launch your own business when you've never done it before just trying to make this pipe dream happen but yeah to go to like Ealing Council Police Department and like talk about your your idea and they they were like one of there was a good cop bad cop there was literally good cop bad cop so female cop was good cop and male cop was bad cop. And I went in like dressed in my best, like vibrant business suit, like ready with all the statistics that I had in place. Um, and they absolutely tore me down. Like it's it's horrible to say this phrase now, but the main police officer was like, well, you're you're a female, you've never done this before. So, so what makes you think that you're going to be able to do it? Like we have to object because it's it's potentially a risk to public safety. And I was just like, I think the anger inside you is obviously what drives you because you're like, A, don't be sexist about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And B, I was driven again by the anger because um, there's another micro pub in the local area. So it's the same borough, the London Borough of Ealing, and their planning commission and all the licensing had gone through absolutely easy breezy. And for some odd reason, mine was like coming up against like so many obstacles. And I was like, Ugh, like why was that a, a male founder yeah two men two older men um, yeah <laughs> i mean admittedly in a more vibrant part of the borough where there's already a high street with lots of restaurants and sort of nighttime economy so we can't just put it down to that but yeah in my head i was like so why are you treating my concept so differently and then obviously you get a bunch of neighbors like complaining because they think there's going to be when I look back at the objections now, it's like, oh, there'll be blood and glass all over the pavement and like children will be scared to walk down the road. And I was like, oh God, like how? But they're just, that's just scaremongering. So obviously you just go with that with like, these are the factual situations of what a micropub is all about. You know, this is how we're going to operate. It's going to be safe. So how how did it eventually get resolved? Just a case of you really pushing back or or did they just, you know, suddenly just go quiet? Do you know what I mean? Like what, what was it that made uh, them say, OK, actually, you can do this? It never went quiet. Basically, the only way it got resolved was to keep pushing. So whenever I thought, oh, shit, this isn't going to work. Yeah, to keep pushing. So. We went to the public hearing and literally I bored them into submission. I had like 12 pages of like the evidence for the Dodo Micropub happening. And even the councillors and everybody, like the legal team, them, even at the end of the license hearing, they were like, this was the most detailed license uh, hearing we've ever had. Thank you. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> we're bored into this. Like there's no way people were going to say no. And then um, the planning, it was a really funny day. Basically, I threatened the planning officer that I was going to march down to Percival House, which is the building of Ealing Council. And I was like, I need a decision now. At the minute I said I'm marching down, all of a sudden an email had come through saying the planning permission had gone through as well so it was being um annoying is probably the best way to describe it honestly I have so much respect for you right now Lucy (laughs) I just love I love stories like this that's amazing so planning permission you get the go-ahead there's also you know so much more than just kind of getting the keys isn't there there's the branding the name there's what what actually you're going to stock there's staff all of that just I always think you know any kind of hospitality um, business there's so many different aspects 
to get it off the ground. So talk me through um, your approach to branding, like, and how you kind of encapsulated that that vibe that you wanted when people came through the door, et cetera, et cetera. I guess because micropubs weren't a new concept, it did, did genuinely come, like, I can't say that this was the first ever way, you know, p- way paved. It came from other micropubs, but... I wanted to make sure females in particular, like if you were a female on your own, that was my my viewpoint. Like I wanted to make sure you felt comfortable walking into my space on your own, grabbing a seat and then striking up a conversation with either myself or whoever else is working and, and other people in the pub. So the branding and the culture, I guess, always came from that sense of I want it to be an open and welcoming space no matter who you are like I want it to feel like you've been here before and and that you want to come back and then I guess my marketing background always helped me with in terms of like look and feel I guess branding imagery wise because I always knew that I wanted like a very sort of natural history illustrative dodo image and then create the space around that image so there's loads of artwork about dodos on the walls and that sort of thing and it just sort of adds all to, all to the conversation style. Well, why the dodo? So my surname is Doe so it's a little bit of a nod to the family name um, and also because micropubs kind of trying to bring back that stripped back hub like pubs used to be back in Edwardian Victorian times like the hub of communities where you'd go to find out what's going on and that's kind of what micropubs are trying to bring back. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. And okay, so in terms of you obviously get the keys late 26... So December 2016, we opened January 2017. Okay. And how did that feel? Like, (laughs) I mean, I just think, hang on, there's so much more that I still want to cover. The, in terms of, you know, actually like the decorating was all of that covered by the loan from Virgin in terms of getting the space ready? Yeah. So the space is pretty much like a long, narrow space. I had to go and spend time with other micropub owners to see like how it all works. And I wouldn't have been able to do it so quickly once I had the keys in my hand without their help. And were they quite welcoming? Oh, every, every single micropub owner I've spoken to has been incredibly, incredibly welcoming. So that, again, is the ethos that I pass on. When people come to me saying, oh, I really want to open up a micropub, can you give me a few ideas? Sorry. I'm like, absolutely not sorry. This is what people did for me when I was starting. So I'm going to do that for you. So I already knew roughly what I needed planning wise. And, and the whole premise of a micropub is that it's it's simple. So actually, um, the guy that did all my cellar equipment did all my furniture as well. So he was already poised and ready because everybody, including myself, had been delayed for months and months waiting for planning and the license to come through. That everyone was poised and ready so the minute I got the keys the minute the work started which is why we could turn it into a pub space in in a month basically ready to open. Wow that's amazing and I presume those were quite long hours those days. Yeah when you mentioned staff so I mean I would not advise this for anybody so in the first year it was me and my boyfriend worked for free for nothing um, for seven months and obviously that's not a viable business like just two people working um, and then I hired my first member of staff because I was so new to business. I was like, although I was making money, I was like, but I don't understand like if I employ somebody, like how much of that money is then going to disappear and how does that affect my business in the long run? So 
I kept my boyfriend working for free for as long as possible. And then he got really pissed off and was like, okay, you're, you're mugging me off now, Lucy. So you can have to hire somebody. And then that's when the whole staffing situation started to happen. So how how quickly, if it was just the two of you working for seven months, you launch, um, I presume, did you do some kind of event to launch or was it just a case of turn the sign to open on the door? Because Hamwell is an area where people, well, nothing happens in Hamwell. <laughs> literally nothing happens we've got crossrail coming pr- apparently soon but it's not happening anytime soon so people had already known about it because obviously the, the planning permission and, and the licensing had gone up in the window and that's when people can object so everybody was so eager so we had a soft launch with just our friends and then we worked out like what works and what doesn't work like I'd forgotten to put like hand soap in the loo yeah <laughs> that, that's why you have your soft launch because your friends are like Lucy like you needed to think about this kind of need love you kind of need that that's the basic yeah. but because I waited so long to get the keys and so long to open you know I hadn't slept basically in that month it was just like go 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 let's go because now we need to start making money and start recuperating some of that, that money that we've taken out back uh, so we had a soft launch made a few mistakes and then we did another soft launch a general public soft launch and it wasn't a soft launch it was horrible like horrible in a good way people were queuing to get in before we'd even open the door because obviously people have been waiting so long for the dodo microprop to open and then it was just mental like we didn't have enough staff to 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 work that day it wasn't the way that I would love to showcase like this new business we were literally like headless chickens running around like what the fuck (laughs) we don't know what we're doing and we didn't know what we were doing but people were lovely and they enjoyed it anyway that's so amazing and I do feel like it's one of those things isn't it where you have like the ideal launch and what it's going to look like and it just never ever (laughs) ever goes that way and it's just you have to kind of just accept accept that and just learn from it I suppose it's yeah. good though it says a lot that they because sometimes you know when like cafes open I always feel like my sister and I I'm I'm good cop she's bad cop if we go to a, a like a cafe for instance and it's rammed in the opening few days I'll be the one that's like oh you know you can tell they're running around like headless chickens I'm sure it'll calm down and my sister's like, it should be more staffed. It should be this. It should be that. <laughs> and, um, and she always comes around eventually. She always goes back. But it is so true in terms of it's, it, it says a lot about your business that even though it was that rammed and that kind of you were running around and unprepared for this kind of mass audience, that they still came back. And, it, you know, there must have been something really special about it that it didn't put people off. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm pre-hospitality world, I was your sister. Like, yeah. I, I was like, oh my God, they don't know what they're doing. And now I'm so sympathetic, so sympathetic to any small businesses that are just struggling. Because I'm like, oh, I've been there, I've done that. Oh my God, absolutely. We used to work in a little deli when I was about, it was in my summers at uni. And um, I remember the co- the coffee machine I was opening and it was like a fine foods deli, but always did really good coffee. So it was always a queue. And I remember the coffee machine just it was for some reason just taking probably about 10 minutes to make one coffee something had gone wrong where it was just like dripping through and I was like this is not good and I just remember feeling all you know that feeling where you know all eyes are on you you're doing a horrendous job you've got no excuses so now every time there's like a a waitress or a waiter uh, and they're rushed off their feet I'm like my heart goes out to you yeah. I, I know where I you, I, you yeah exactly 
exactly. Okay, tell me, talk to me about um, how the business has evolved since then. And I suppose how you've adapted to the kind of ebbs and flows along the way from opening right through to now. I know we'll come on to like the, the challenges per se as like a specific topic but how has the business kind of grown since then? I think it's been a natural progression like first year was so mental and so unexpectedly successful if I'm honest which is incredibly lucky to have in your first year and then second year felt like naturally I was like oh so people aren't just gonna walk through the door anymore because we're no longer the new cool business in town like how do I it, it made me be more strategic in my second year like how do I set plans? How do I market myself properly and professionally again? Because people aren't just going to walk through the door anymore. And how do you create, continue to create that atmosphere when your footfall starts to drop off a little bit? So uh, I think it was natural. That like first year was unex unexpectedly successful. Second year, that started to tail off naturally because we weren't the new cool business. So you have to think of ways to get people through the door. And then obviously now we're in our third year and, well, we're kind of not operating as normal <laughs> yeah we'll come on to covid but let's go back to the second year then what did that what, what did those strategies look like to kind of sustain growth because it's something so many people forget about and it's understandable you kind of get so fixated on the launch that you forget that once that business is up and running if it's going to survive you've got to keep going and it's yeah. that kind of keeping that momentum so what did you do to kind of get that footfall back so first year was very much setting the scene, like, okay, so people knew that we were the community-focused pub, like, and you came to, to have a conversation. The second year was more about how do we bring new people in or new revenue streams or, or how can we capitalise on the people that are already enjoying the space? So we started to throw so many more events. So we had a minimum, like, two events every month, and it would either be a food pop-up, so we'd collaborate with another small business and we'd have food pop-ups down the dodo, or we would do kind of meet the brewer events. So a brewer would come in, we'd showcase their beers, and then we would, um, you know, have a big piss up, basically, but in a <laughs> professional way. Uh, then we also created our own beer because we felt, I felt like we got to that establishment point where people might be on board with that. And, yeah, we proved that people were definitely on board with us producing our own beer with our local brewery, Weird Beard. Uh, you know, we produce merchandise and people, like, pack them in their bags, take them on holiday with them and, like, you know, stand on top of a mountain with wearing them like you know proud to say that they're part of like the Hamwell Massive I probably should have mentioned that again so people who drink down the Dodo we're known as the Hamwell Massive we're like you know we're in it we're in a team together so yeah the second year was very much like oh, what other revenue streams can top up a bad month how else can we keep people excited about coming into the Dodo like we have to do something differently we can't just expect people to walk through the door anymore. yeah and I feel like it also, you know, it's so easy to say it, but all of those different things are mini businesses in themselves, right? Like the fact that you've brewed your own beer, that's some, that's some people's sole business, you know? And like merch, it's like all the different things, they're different little business models that go with them. Yeah. So yeah, I always kind of, I have so much respect for people when they do this because it's like the energy that, that just one of those on their own requires so much attention. So yeah, it's always really impressive. Did it, or did they all work or, you know, what ones were more successful? Some events didn't work. Um, I tried to, uh, so obviously bottomless brunch is a huge trend that's been around for a while. I probably jumped on the trend maybe a bit too late and I thought it would work and it just died. Like we had 
six people. <laughs> and then obviously if you've got six people in the space, you're like, yeah, energy. But everyone's like, oh, this is a bit rubbish. Like, <laughs> awkward. Yeah, so awkward. If they don't, like if I maybe, I guess if I'm trying to steer maybe too far away from what we're known for, which is, you know, independent craft beer or community focused positive vibes then it, it kind of doesn't really work if I'm trying to be you know if I tried afternoon tea it probably wouldn't work because that's not really the vibe of, of the pub yeah yeah and it's so interesting isn't it because sometimes it's that trial and error that you have to go through to actually recognize and accept that yeah because sometimes it's like, oh, no, no, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And it's like, oh, no, actually, it's not fine. <laughs> um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of looking back then, Lucy, I know that COVID's been a, been a challenge. So actually, let's go straight to COVID and then we'll look back across the border with challenges. You are, hospitality industry, I think, has been hit the hardest, um, or at least it's definitely one up there. Second, the second worst industry to be in currently. Travel is first. Of course, yeah. Hospitality yeah. is second. How did, has COVID played out? So obviously we're, what, 15th of June. It was mid-March, the London Mingle, 11th of March. Yeah, so I think it was the 23rd of March we went into lockdown. Yeah. Talk me through how... COVID played out from the build-up to pre-lockdown because it's so I feel like it all blurs into one now but there was when we break it down that huge panic before we went into lockdown the initial weeks of lockdown where it was just the most surreal bizarre everyone was trying to figure out what actually was going on and then it's obviously eased and we've all kind of slowly adjusted and adapted so how did that all play out for the micropub? So the build-up was worse for us than the actual day of lockdown, if I'm completely honest, because we had so much uncertainty going on. Like, you know, Boris Johnson told people to not go to pubs and restaurants before he actually locked everybody down. So there were so many mixed messages. There was a lot of fear. Like my initial reaction was just like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to be able to survive this. This is definitely the biggest thing I'm going to have to deal with. But because we are such community the Hanwell Massive rallied round and those weeks right during before the lockdown we were absolutely rammed because people were like so sincerely amazingly lovely coming in spending money on like the most ridiculously expensively promised beer that we had you know buying every single thing they could because they were just like you know we really feel for you so yeah the weeks I would say the run-up to lockdown was worse and then there's the responsibility of being a business owner with a public space is the more serious people took coronavirus the more heavy that weight of responsibility for public safety I felt that basically much more and I was like it doesn't feel right anymore so even before the week we actually did lock down I'd already made this decision with me and the team and said it's not right to be trading yeah like it's not right I had the exact same thing. I remember the London midweek mingles on the 11th of March and I was due to be in Brighton the following week and Cardiff the week after that. And it was like three days after London where I was just like, this doesn't feel right. Because some of the speakers for Brighton and Cardiff had started being like, oh, is it is that happening? Like what? And I could tell they were panicked. And then you started to see on like Instagram, the panic was rising. And I remember just feeling like I don't I don't I'm not going to wait for the government to tell. I I felt like I had to make a decision. And I'm so with you on that because it's like it, it, it was I think it's so easy to look back and brush over. But that pressure really 
when you're responsible for other people does weigh down on you, doesn't it? And it's yeah, just... hugely, hugely. And now people joke now, oh yeah, you know, we've probably got coronavirus from the Domino Micropub. <laughs> and that's that's not the case. Like, <laughs> that's not a funny joke, people. Don't make that joke to me. But, um... <laughs> It's, it really was that was the worst bit for me was making that decision like a your business in your head you're like well my business is a goner like that's it it's been a great two and a bit years and especially for me I entered like this year third year thinking right it's time to level up it's time to like explode this business out of control because I can't sit around for the next two years like just you know paying myself the minimum and you know just floating along and then obviously it happened so it was hard yeah but you've obviously adapted. So talk yes. me through um, how that's played out over the past couple of months, so where the idea got, came from, et cetera, et cetera. When we, before we locked down, we were always going to go to a delivery service. So Michael, who's my manager, he, I don't drive, so I can't deliver anybody <laughs> here unless it's really local. So he was always, he, I think he actually came up with the idea. He was like, let's do delivery service when we can't operate normally. And I was like, yeah brilliant idea we'll get beer out to people people who are shielding might need a little like mini pick me up up Mm -hmm. of the normal world and obviously the more we were in lockdown the more that became apparent that just like having like draft beer at home was you know a real nice treat for people so yeah I think it came from him uh and it was led by him as he was ready to go 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 but when we locked down I was like let's just take a bit of a time out and think about it properly because we've spent weeks just like headless chicken reacting 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 and I was like I just need a break from firefighting if I'm honest like I'm mentally exhausted from Mm. this situation so we took a break and then when it felt right and also because our area Ealing has been really quite badly hit by coronavirus as well and, and that is still a responsibility that we need to play into so um when it felt right we then bounced back so it was April we became takeaway and delivery so we basically open for collections. So you pre-order online what you want and then you can either collect it or we will deliver it for free, like within a five mile radius from where we are, plus extra postcodes, dependent on where, based where Michael's going. We try and keep it as flexible as possible for people to get what they want from us. And how has it gone? It's, it's working is probably the best way to describe it. Obviously, revenue has been massively hit. So, you know, across the board, we're like 40% down revenue, but it is the best we can ask for. We are making it work. Like we are covering our costs plus with a little bit of wiggle room. So when something breaks, then we, we don't have to be like, oh, well, we've got no money for this. So that, that's really all I can ask for. It's a blessing that people are still buying weekly and sometimes I just think people are buying beer for beer's sake yeah (laughs) they really don't need it but um yeah it's working is probably the best term would I say it's a raging success I mean it could be worse but um yeah it's working but the thing is and that's it Lucy it's it's you're surviving there's so many businesses that um in hospitality that have unfortunately folded and it's like I think you know across the board the fact that you are you've got your head above the water says a lot about like your tenacity and like resilience to just kind of keep keep plugging away and not let this defeat you and I think that you know eventually like shops are reopening today aren't they like it, 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 it will start picking up and ultimately even though revenue's down I think everyone is in agreement that pubs are going to be hounded or pounced upon when this is all <laughs> over because people that's what people are craving they want to have those face-to-face interactions and a micro pub that allows them to do that will be one of the first places that people will go to 
So I just think in five years time, looking back on this, I have a feeling that you'll be like, I'm really proud of myself for this bit. Yeah. And I, I, I yeah, I would hope that, that I can look back and think that definitely. But currently it's just like, OK, let's just crack on and keep yeah. it. And actually, yeah, people will go back to pubs. But our challenge being a micro space is that, you know, the two metre potentially down to one metre rule means that we literally can have like five people in our pub basically mm. so how do you make it again there's another like okay so how do we make this work when we are still sort of in the throes of the challenge like how how can we still maximize revenue with five people in the pub so yeah well <laughs> I saw that there is now a gin brand which yeah, really? just made me the happiest person ever so that's very recent isn't it yeah, again, in a coronavirus challenging time, it's like, I guess it's just business evolution, isn't it? So we the takeaway delivery thing had been working and everybody had been getting on board. But then as more pubs started to open, that became like less people started to order from us and, and take advantage of what we were trying to do and um, to get beer out. So I was like, OK, so what else can I do that other pubs aren't doing? you know to add another revenue stream into this time like I don't want to be suffering this summer when potentially we've got further challenges on, on the horizon so just before lockdown we secured our spirits license for the pub um so we're not known for spirits although uh, before I loved beer my main thing was rum so rum has always been a passion of mine so we were going to be like a whiskey and rum kind of experiential space plus have like a small selection of gin. So there is an, a gin distillery in Ealing called Ealing Distillery. They're super premium. And I was like, I can't make enough money off of Ealing Gin. I want to support him as a business because he's lovely and he's been supportive of the Dodo, but I can't make enough money off that. So yeah, I then launched my own branded gin and it went nuts basically. So I got 60 bottles <laughs> and I thought, oh, this will see us through the summer, these 60 bottles, it'd be great. And then within an hour and four minutes, they basically sold out before that it was like 904 they sold out <laughs> we released them at 8 a.m and they all went and I was like oh dear <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh that's amazing though that's honestly like I mean that's surely uh, makes some of that stress worth it you know yeah yeah definitely like spending so spent last Monday I was there with Charlotte Berridge who's the artist local artist that did the labeling we were like stickering labels tying string for four hours so yeah it kind of makes all the extra work that goes into getting a new product and trying to like promote a new product definitely worth it when it works Just popping on here with a little reminder to say that this episode is sponsored by Tide Business Current Accounts, who have created the Small Business Solidarity Series, showcasing how Tide members are supporting others with their businesses as we all try and navigate the weeks and months ahead. To browse the offers and discounts available, feel free to have a peek at the link to the Business Solidarity Series in this episode's show notes. What did you do to launch that then for that demand to be there waiting at 8am? <laughs> it wasn't even that much, but I knew I said to people like, we're going to over egg this a little bit. So we put a teaser little video out of um, Charlotte and I like time lapsing, doing all the labels. So just like something's coming. And then and the next day, this is all on social media. So nothing special. I had like an email campaign scheduled and everything like to, to build it up towards World Gin Day, which was just that day gone. 
didn't even need to do that, like cancelled that email campaign because I had no gin to sell after the launch day. Then the yeah, next day was like, like super excited, like this is like, so this happened, here's the dodo of Hamwell gin, it will go live tomorrow at 8am. And then yeah, basically 8am was like, ready, let's, let's go, like it's live. And then within an hour, it's gone. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, that went really quick. <laughs> That's amazing. So I presume the, the plan is to make more. Yeah. So I've already put a double production order in. So I'm just waiting again. Today will just be confirmed that that's done, get the bottles delivered. Obviously, I never printed enough labels to get me through an additional batch. So I have like the labels are coming hopefully this week. So if, if, if we can, then we'll get another batch out this week before Harvest Day on Sunday. But we'll see. I literally I love stories like this. Looking back then, so many different revenue streams, so many hurdles. If you if you had to pinpoint the worst day on the job so far, does one come to mind? I feel like I've got the worst day of the job so far for every single year we've been open. And I think it's important for some people to acknowledge the worst days of their business life. So like year one, I would say is just a day of exhaustion. I remember sitting on the floor behind the till area just like I'm so tired and my brain is so busted and I've worked so hard I don't know if I've got anything left in me and I sat on the floor and then I could see like some sort of patrons like peering over and they were like are you all right Lucy and I was like oh I just literally needed like five minutes to like not think for a minute so yeah that was the worst day of year one the worst day of year two so um, on that note really quickly though I do feel like until you're in that exhaustion period it's like really hard to appreciate but I remember you came to the um August 2018 event at Hoxton Arches didn't you yeah that was my first ever event yeah yeah that was um the day before that because I it was my birthday day after and that was my first pitch to investors and then that event on the the first it was the day before the last day of July I remember sitting in my office trying to prep for the investor meeting knowing the event logistics were in my head as well for the yeah and just feeling like I can't do this I'm so exhausted and it's like I that's a massive day that stands out for me from that first year and I'm so with you on that because it is like you just trying to find that energy like mentally isn't it to just kind of keep yourself going and it's really really hard when you're in that moment yeah I'm so with you on that but then it teaches you how to set boundaries you know when you're further down the line like I would never put myself in that position never again it's unhealthy yeah. and it teaches you I guess how strong you are to, to carry on year two we celebrated our second birthday and the day after the second birthday I got a legal letter with the cease and desist request so yeah that was quite a challenge um, the name or what from a pub company with a similar name to what I have uh, business-wise. And yeah, it was just like, can you stop operating? Can you stop um, passing off on our brand? And yeah, that just took a couple of months to sort out. But why it was hard, because we'd had the high of like, yeah, we've made it to the second year, like 80% of businesses fell in the first year. We're celebrating to literally, it was the lunchtime of the day after the birthday party celebration. and, And like an email popped up and then obviously I had the letter through the post and I was like oh (laughs) really (laughs) yeah what do I do now (laughs) I mean yeah I uh, that's the thing isn't it I feel like stories like that are when um the the really rubbish 
mundane, scary, just draining element of being your own boss kicks in is like when it's like a legal thing and it's just yeah I so what did you do just push back yeah basically um one of our most regular patrons who's a friend and neighbor um what now is a friend and neighbor uh, I just obviously I cried a lot and then um I was like Jason's a lawyer and I had no idea what type of lawyer he was I just knew he was a lawyer and it turns out he's an intellectual property lawyer so um, (laughs) he helped me through that situation and I paid him in beer whiskey beer and whiskey basically oh I love a good value exchange like that (laughs) and the thing is it's like stories like that is sometimes you have to just really sit down once you've done your cry cry it all out And then it is a case of turning like that switch on in your head and just being like, who do I know across the board? What can I offer them in return? Like, how can we make this work? And then just putting your pride on the line and asking, right? Yeah, massively. And it's taken me a lot to ask for help. Like, that was never pre-Dodo Micropod me. Like, I I would always be a bit too like, no, I can do this on my own. But no, (laughs) not since opening up my own business, definitely not. Yeah, no, I can I can relate. And then third year, I'm guessing COVID. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boris told everyone to stay away from pubs. Again, and that is my reaction is I have a massive cry. But I think the biggest cry was definitely COVID. <laughs> and then once the panic, crying, fearful stage has sort of passed me, then I'm like, okay, this is not me. Let's get back to that fighter mode and what the hell am I doing about it? Yeah, definitely. And I do think that's like something that so many of us will be able to relate to. Like I definitely can. You have the initial panic and you are allowed that cry and you are allowed to just like be a drama queen. And then it's a case of slap yourself around the face. This is, yeah, it is. It's like a game on. Let's go. How can yeah. I sort this out? And it, but it is just sometimes accepting even when you're in that panic mode. I think, I don't know about you, but the longer the business goes on and the that is some the challenges do get bigger, it's allowing yourself to remember that you've been through, they almost, even though the challenges can sometimes be bigger, like COVID, for instance, it's massive. You've been through enough challenges already to know that you've got through those. So therefore there'll be a way out. And it's just yeah. accepting that, isn't it? Even, yeah. even mid panic, this isn't, I can, I, I'll get through this. Yeah, I can. I feel like I can get through things now. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else is going to be thrown my direction. Let's see. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, how do you make sure then that you're looking after yourself throughout all of this, Lucy? Like you said, obviously you wouldn't let yourself get back to a position of that like sheer exhaustion from first year. Hospitality, however, is has a reputation and it f- for good reason the hours you have to put in the fact that you know chatting you you're looking after every single person that comes through the door having conversations making yourself be that face of the business even if you're not feeling it that is also that takes energy doesn't it in oh, yeah, the nicest way energy, yeah so you know how how are you looking after yourself oh I sometimes feel like I'm the worst person at looking after myself because I am naturally a driven person, so I'm always go is my only direction. But having experienced actual exhaustion in the first year, it's just knowing when you're when you're down, like knowing when you're down, it tuning into when you feel sad and you can't talk to people anymore because you've spent your whole week talking to people like and that's sad because sometimes it means at the weekend, while my boyfriend is out and about catching up with people, I'm like, I just want to sit indoors and just watch Queer Eye and cuddle the dogs and don't want to talk to anybody and that's sad it means like friendships you know the first couple of years like my friends you know they had to come to the pub to see me and that's that's not 
pleasant for anybody because I'm always working. So um, I guess I am a bit better now at listening to when my head is hurting or when my physical body is hurting because of working so hard mm. uh, and just trying to take a bit of a time out. But I don't think I'm that good at it, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think um, it's something that so many people relate to. I definitely do about the whole if you spend your week chatting and kind of being on top form that, that come the weekend, the last thing you want to do is like s- socialise even more. And it is. So how have you kind of managed that, re- the, the evolution of relationships or how do you manage that with friends and like make sure that, you know, the people that you love know that you love them? I've got incredible, like, my besties are are incredible. So they're the ones who keep me in check. Like, you know, they're the ones who, you know, don't hate me because I'm the worst at contacting them. But they're always like, okay, Lucy, we need you to take a break. Uh, We're going to go to Parma. So we all went to Parma last uh, year for a little girly holiday, which was lovely. Like, they're, they're the people that keep me in check. And it's the same with my boyfriend. Like, I try and stay up and watch television or films with him sometimes, and I'm literally falling asleep on the sofa, which really winds him up. And he's just like, Lucy, can you go to bed and get a proper night's sleep? So for me, I think it's just other other people in my immediate circle are the ones that keep me going. Like, it, it doesn't come from me. It comes from those guys. yeah, yeah. But it's so important, isn't it? I feel like very early on you work out that. I always call them my safety blanket. Don't ask why. I've never, but I have done since the beginning. And it's just like they're your core, aren't they? So as yeah. long as you've looked looking after them, everything else can kind of just. What's the word I'm going for? I'm doing this weird hand motion, Lucy. It's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just have a little wiggle. Um, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. And then in terms of like you're really good at networking like even though you are like running this hospitality business like you just said and there's all of the kind of you're chatting to people constantly you still put yourself out there and has that been a conscious decision like how how have you kind of what's been your approach to that since since day one I suppose so it, it's, again when somebody throws that at you like you're really good at networking and my immediately thought um, my immediate thought is oh I don't think I am but yeah second year was how do I get myself like away from the pub a little bit more and chatting and learning from other like-minded people which is you know why I ended up at Chicanti did events and and other events as well I just wanted to talk to other mainly women if I'm honest who understood like this weird process that you go through as a business owner and it I guess it that's helped me set boundaries and and check in with myself and and be better it is is networking that that's not hard because I'm just chatting rubbish quite frankly to most people and having a gin and tonic probably so um yeah. Does, does like- anyone actually talk about business at, at a mingle I, I mean I don't I literally just go around the room and I'm just I, I just don't know what I'm talking about I but find I- from mingles and other networking is that you end up talking more about this is going to sound a bit woo but like how, how you're feeling or like you know like how you're tackling situations you don't talk about business like oh, oh can I get your help because my yeah. revenue is like 20 percent down yeah, this yeah. year and let's I talk GDPR <laughs> I mean, there are networking groups out there like that, but they are not the networking groups for me. Like I wanted to go to kind of friendly, like, you know, hug kind, like networking for me has to be a bit like a a pep talk and a hug and you leave feeling like, yeah, I'm all right. I can do this. 
Yeah, yeah. It's so true though, isn't it? Like even if um it's even if it's not networking events are your thing, I do think there's something really empowering about just connecting and putting yourself out there and finding other people in a similar boat. Not necessarily like minded, because sometimes I think some of like the best people I've met since launching this, we run very different businesses and think very differently. But just there's something very comforting about knowing that someone else is on a similar journey in the sense that they've they've got that weight on their shoulders they think the same they've got that kind of ambition etc etc and that's something that you can really just yeah take comfort from yeah definitely okay rounding up then you said uh earlier on that year three was the year you wanted to really go for it so once we're through this initial period of lockdown which let's it we all know won't last forever what do you want the business to look like in kind of five five years down the line 10 years down the line is this is this something that you see yourself doing forever yeah definitely um definitely in it for the long haul and even when I first launched the business I was like I want two site in five years so obviously year three is sort of on a standstill at the moment so how do I make like how is that going to be possible in the next couple of years and how is the business going to evolve like I look up to people in the hospitality industry and I think how can I do what they're doing like you know they've created multiple business sites and they stood for what they wanted to stand for and you know how, how can I be more like them so yeah there's a lot of work to do but <laughs> we're going to just have to get through COVID first and then see how that pans out. Who, who do you admire? I really love, and I'm going to get his surname wrong, which and he's just going to hate me. So I've actually met him and I love him. He's Ryan Chetty Dewana, Mr. Lion. He opened up the world's best bar in London. He he stands for, you know, luxury, sustainability. But I guess why I look up to him is he's always been very much about um, how do we make luxury accessible? And it's like a micropub is not luxury becoming accessible, but it's about how do we make socialising and, and making friends accessible to everybody. So, mm. you know, he's got, or he had the world's best bar. He's got another bar now. It, it looks slick. He's got a book. He, you know, he's just an a all-round amazing guy. So I'm like, so how can I be the Mr. Lion of the beer world (laughs) is my thought process currently. And I don't know how that's going to happen, but we'll figure it out. The thing is, when you have dreams like that, though, and you have people that inspire you like that, it is just, just, I guess, in your, like, deep down, without sounding too woo-woo, that is something that is, even if you don't know what that looks like, having that overarching goal that you know it's possible it's like that kind of trusting yourself to work it out along the way, knowing yeah. that those big ambitions can be realised somehow. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, he... So I met him because he was a judge for the Young British Food and Drink Awards, which I won last year. And it was the most terrifying day of last year because I had to present, like, the Dodo Micropub to, like, three incredible people in hospitality. Like, not just peers, like, the biggest peers you could ever put me in front of. And I was like, oh, this is scary. and he just got it and I was it's weird I think I said this to you one day after a shikanshi did me guys I feel like we'd be friends in real life and that's what I wanted to say to him like I feel like you understand why I've launched this business like we should be friends we should chat and then you're like oh god he's gonna think you're a right (laughs) (laughs) story of my life Lucy (laughs) (laughs) oh no I love no but it's so true and like yeah to be honest I do feel like that it it's always really interesting when you meet people like that that you admire isn't it because you realize that they are normal 
and it just it makes it all all the more accessible to be yeah. not like them because no one wants to be you know it's it's good to be who you are but as in it's it to achieve things like they've achieved it makes yeah. it a lot more real doesn't it love that okay very last question before we go on to the statements um what has this whole experience being your own boss taught you about yourself and has it been worth it it has taught me i guess about my resilience about how tough and how driven you can be when you're forced into a situation and it teaches me I guess it teaches me like exactly how much I want my small business to succeed like how much I'm not accepting going down at any any turn so yeah it's taught me a lot about I guess my strength is probably the best way the shortest way to say it and has it all been worth it oh 100% some days obviously you don't think it's worth it there are some days where you're like oh just throw in the towel it'll be easier but yeah the the freedom and the like success for me personally is not like oh I'm rolling in cash and I've got a Rolls Royce like that's never really my vision it's allowed me to be myself more like to not have like somebody tell me that I have to yeah like be horrible to my team like I don't have to be horrible to my team I love my team they're excellent they've got much better personalities than I have so (laughs) I can be like a nice boss I don't have to be a horrible boss anymore so yeah yeah and it's that purpose isn't it you've got yeah yeah love that okay I end all of these with some statements so I would like to I'll start and I'd like you to finish them off please um so number one being my own boss means being authentic love that uh when it's not quite going to plan my advice would be to have a good cry (laughs) is my my main first thought of call I guess feel what you need to feel like let yourself like your initial reaction that sort of gut reaction to when things go wrong is just your way of dealing with it so let that happen don't you know beat yourself up about that like you know don't tell yourself I'm crying I'm a big sissy and then come back better be like okay I've done what I needed to do and now it's time to to go help a leather on it absolutely if I could describe myself as a businesswoman I'd say that I am driven mental um mentally strong I would (laughs) say (laughs) (laughs) I often get called which I quite like what pocket Um, pocket did you say a pocket rocket, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I'm basically five foot and people are like, whoa, got a lot, got a lot of power for somebody so small. Wholehearted, I think, is a good one. Mm. Yeah, love that. And I see that as well. If I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, and to she says in- mid-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I tell myself daily, on the daily, it's all going to be okay. Uh, No, it is always going to be okay. You will find a way through. And um, I guess lessons over the years have taught me that I should have told. Yeah, I would go back and say, you need to believe in yourself, poor girl. Mm, Yeah, so true. It's it's, it's funny though, isn't it? It does come with time, I think. And it does everything. What's that phrase? This too shall pass. I feel like everyone, every single challenge you get through, like we were saying earlier, that belief kind of... Um, edges its way in somewhere yeah, kind of yeah. adds up um, and very lastly Lucy I want my legacy to be that 
I want my legacy to be community and like touching amazingly simply wonderful moments of humanity love oh it's powerful that was good thank you so much honestly I feel like who needs coffee when you've got that to wake you up and set you up for the week that was amazing thank you so much thank you for having me Thank you so much for listening to that episode if you have a minute to spare and enjoyed it of course it would mean so much to me if you could please rate the podcast below or leave a review if you fancy being extra kind as apparently it helps to give the series a little boost and helps other female founders and aspiring business owners to find it for now though enjoy the rest of your day and please do look out for next week's episode mm-hmm.